Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. You know, there's only a handful of stories that I reuse out of other people's content, other people's books. Like the one that John Maxwell used and everyone communicates, few connect. And I'm not even sure what the origin of this story was. But he talks about a bunch of people hanging around at a Christmas party and an old lady in the corner falling asleep, dozing off, as they decide at this Christmas party that they're going to recite their favorite Bible verse. And one young man, a solicitor, which in America would be an attorney, stands up and recites the 23rd Psalm absolutely flawlessly, every word perfectly enunciated, every word perfectly articulated, never missed a beat, a pause, a comma, a period. It was absolutely perfect. Well, later on in the evening, after they realized that Grandma had fallen asleep, they went to her and said, hey, we're, uh, we're reciting our favorite Bible verse. We'd love to hear yours. And so she stood and she delivered the, the 23rd Psalms with stuttering and stammering and pauses. And she left words out and she missed words and she cried a little bit. And when she was done, the entire audience was absolutely captivated. When the young orator finished, all he got was an, a little golf clap, a nice plight applause. When asked why he felt like it was necessary that I need to stand and explain, and he said, the difference between her story of the 23rd Psalm and my story of the 23rd Psalm is, I know the 23rd Psalm. She knows the shepherd. That distinctive difference is what I want to talk about in this episode of Leading Leaders. Stay tuned. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. It was during the Dale Carnegie course that I learned the three E's while I was first being trained in it and then coaching it for the next almost five years. The three E's are a very important aspect. Now, if you've ever heard somebody tell a story like the one I just shared, a little bit lengthy for a story, but it, it gives you the, the impression, the contrast between the 23rd Psalm and someone who knows every word, every comma, every period, every exclamation, every perfect intonation. That's a great reciter of the 23rd Psalm. But the contrast between them and someone who knows who the Psalm was written about, the shepherd. I mean, I'm sure you've read books that are biographical. I have dozens of them on my shelves, biographical books, books written about someone, but written by someone else. I also have a few autobiographies. I'm sure in some of those cases, they are autobiographies that are actually more like um, ghostwritten, meaning the subject matter of the autobiography actually had the conversation with someone, but then a ghostwriter kind of wrote out those stories and made it more palatable, more polished. There's a significant difference even between those two things. If you sit down with someone who's aged, seasoned, mature, old, and you ask them about what life was like back when, you're going to get some very interesting things. In fact, this weekend, I had a chance to say what will likely be a final farewell to a friend that I've only known for about 10 years. And I recounted a story that he told me. 
The irony was, the story he told me was about his wife. And I was recounting that story to his wife, verifying the veracity of that story. She gave me an odd face as if to say, I can't believe he told you that, but then a chuckle to confirm it was true. And then she told me a little bit more and it was pretty ironic the way it all worked out. But having heard it firsthand from the person who lived through the story and then having the opportunity to verify that story with the other party in the story, that was pretty powerful. But see, it's still not my story. It was a story that I was close to that I got to eyewitness in the retelling, but not in the actual event of the story. That's a whole different thing, though, to be able to hear it firsthand from the people who lived it than to read it in a book decades later. See, there's something about the stories that you have lived through. They give them a whole different kind of chutzpah, for lack of a better word, to, to hold on to the credibility, the strength of that story when you walked through it. It was one thing to say, <clears throat> I know of people who've gotten sick because of this or have been in jail because of that, who have lost their careers over this or who have lost a relationship over that. To say that I've, I've seen those things, I've read about those things in the newspaper or on social media, that's one thing. To say, let me tell you what happened to me, that's a whole different thing. The idea of the three E's, which I'm about to tell you, and if you're taking notes, now's a good time to start writing them down. The three E's really proves, at least internally, that I have the credibility to talk about this subject, that I know what I'm talking about, that what I have to offer is of value to people, and that the lesson that I learned was well-earned. All right, here's the three E's. The first E is earn the right to tell about it. Earn the right to tell the story. Write that down, earn the right. Now I'm also gonna tell you under this first D, there are actually three ways that you can earn the right to tell the story. The first of which is, it's you. Firsthand, it happened to you. You were part of the story. You were a person that the story happened to or you were an element of the story as it happened. I don't just mean you watched it. I mean, you were the subject or the cause of the story. You earned it. You were there. It was you firsthand. The second is you observed it. So maybe you didn't, you weren't the subject. You didn't live through the pain. You didn't cause the pain. You didn't make the observation of the firsthand experience, but you made the observation immediately. You were able to see it. Maybe you weren't involved in the car accident, but you were standing on the street corner when it happened. You understand the difference, right? If you're in the car accident, in either car, or a passenger in either car, you have a different perspective than even the person standing on the street corner. But if you were one of the five people standing on the street corner, you still have some observed it kind of power to tell that story and how it affected you and, and the emotions that happened. But ad admit at least in yourself, that the emotions you experience being an eyewitness to a mugging, a robbery, a car accident, a train crash, a plane crash, if you watched it happen versus had to climb out of the burning rubble, wouldn't you agree that your emotional uh, aspect of that story is going to be different? Your credibility of what it was really like is going to be just a little bit different, but completely different than the person who just watched it on the news. 
I remember doing an, an air show about two years ago over Dallas. Two airplanes collided in midair. And there were all kinds of newsreels that were posted on social media where people were just walking across the fast food restaurant parking lot and saw the two planes and turned their phone to watch the two planes and actually caught the collision in midair as the two planes crashed. And I remember the exclamations, all of the shouting of profanities and screaming and yelling and upset and people around them as well as the ones with their cell phones watching the whole thing and commentating as it happened. And all the OFMGs that came out of their mouth watching this accident happen. And I'm thinking, imagine if you were the family member and you knew that was your pop's plane or your, your granddad's plane or your uncle's plane or your brother's plane. I mean, your reaction to that story would be entirely different. That's kind of the point that I'm making, that there are those times that we are close to the story, and then there are those times that we are, we are in the story. We didn't just observe it, we experienced it. We didn't have just an emotional reaction to what we saw, but we actually were close enough to be impacted by it. We were in it. Okay, so those are two different ways to earn the story. Here's the third way you can earn the right to tell the story. Research. Research and research and research and research and research. Tony Robbins will tell you that his journey to being a multimillionaire, a billionaire now, began when his father turned down the reception of a Thanksgiving dinner from someone else as charity. And his, maybe even stepfather, said, I, I don't take charity from anybody. We don't need you. And he turned them away and basically threw them out of the house. And Thanksgiving wasn't anything special. But Tony said, I remember what it felt like to be poor. And I desired to not be poor. And so I spent many years researching the wealthiest people I could get access to, asking them questions, observing how they lived, researching what businesses they were involved in and how they did their business and how they thought about money. He's written several books on wealth now. He's written several books on the science of the mind and how the things that you think impact the money that you make. Why? Because that was a topic he was deeply invested in and interested in. He wasn't rich when it started. The results of the research led to him being rich. And the results of the research, that gives him a lot of stories to tell, a lot of content to talk about, a lot of people to point out, a lot of observations that he's made along the way, a lot of conclusions that he's come to. That's pretty powerful stuff. It's not just good anecdotal evidence. It's good evidence that these processes and these, these pathways, they work. And of course, you can look at Tony's wealth now and go, yeah, it's pretty obvious that if you follow the patterns that he has discovered, it works. Okay, so you've got the three elements of earn the right to tell it. Be a part of it, observe it firsthand, or research it thoroughly. Now, the next E, this one's pretty important too, and that is you've got to be eager to tell the story. And I don't mean by eager that you're bouncing around like an eager beaver, that you're just so ecstatic to tell the story that, it, that you, you, you can't keep your mouth shut about it. While there may be some of that too, you've got to at least be willing to tell the story. Now, true story, my wife was a rape victim in her teens, in college. And to the best of my knowledge, my daughters, other than hearing me say exactly the same thing probably a thousand times, 
have not heard the in-depth story of that event. Mom doesn't want to talk about it. Mom doesn't want to recount it. Mom doesn't want to relive it. And so mom doesn't talk about it. Has she earned the right? Yep, she was there when it happened. She even worked at the East Texas Crisis Center when I met her. She's done some research in the field. She has a degree in psychology. She understands what happened and what happens and what is happening as the ongoing result of that event. She's got every aspect of having earned the right to tell the story, but she's not eager to tell the story. So she doesn't. It doesn't mean that she wouldn't be able to tell it well. It just means that she doesn't care to tell it at all. So you've got to earn the right to tell it. You've got to be eager to tell it. You've got to be willing to tell it. You've got to to have a burden in you that says, I must tell this story. And then here's the the final of the three E's. This one is probably equally as important as earn the right. And that is tell it with enthusiasm. Again, enthusiasm doesn't mean bouncing off the wall like an eager beaver, like my puppy when I come home. It's not that kind of enthusiasm. It's the kind of enthusiasm that says, I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to invest in this story. I'm going to spend the time necessary to dig into the meaning of the words and actually get at what they mean. I'm going to, I'm going to Im- not embellish to the point of lies or deception or manufacturing, I'm going to pull out everything that's in every meaning of this story, every psychological aspect, every emotional aspect, every lesson that there is to be learned, everything that I've learned from this incident. I want it to be a part of the story. Now, here's the really scary part of that. We've talked about investment. We've talked about proximity. We've talked about what it means to bring people into the story by including them in the story. And there's some places... We're being enthusiastic to tell the story could lead you to fabricate parts of the story just to bring people into the story. Don't do that. If you've earned the right and you're telling the story because you're eager to, telling it with enthusiasm doesn't give you a license to lie. And there's no benefit to it. If this story doesn't include the people in your audience, then save this story for an audience where they're included. Don't manufacture parts of the story to become discredited as a result of telling the story. I know a lot of people who get wrapped up in the storytelling process of storytelling, and they want to bring in audiences from different places by including people in the story who weren't there when it happened. They have nothing to do with it, but to to kind of bring them in as extras, if you will, and then highlight them to make it seem like this story is about them as well. You've seen it done in cheap movies, bad budgets, where characters on the scene, just for the purpose of highlighting an ethnicity or a sexuality or or a sexual ideology, they bring them into the story, into the storyline, they write them into the plot for the purpose of making those people feel included when they really had nothing to do with the story. The event happened with none of that input writing it into the storyline for the purpose of, well, for lack of a better term, pandering, which is usually a a political term, but it, it fits here as well. Trying to reach out to people and include them when they weren't included in the first place. I'm not talking about being exclusionary. I'm talking about being authentic, operating with integrity, telling a story the way it happened from your perspective, from your perspective and your perception is absolutely valid. It's your story. You were in it. 
If you weren't in it, don't tell it. If you had nothing to do with it, if you didn't observe it or research it, you weren't there when it happened, let somebody else tell that story. Unless you're going to recount it and tell people directly, this is a quote from a book, and when I read it, here's what I observed. When I, when I studied it, here's what I discovered. This was the revelation that happened in me when I came across this story, this anecdote. That's a powerful way, it's like a book report, but it's better than making stuff up. It's better than using an old anecdote and claiming it as first person. That will absolutely destroy your credibility. You spend too much time telling other people's stories and not telling them well, people will not listen to you at all. That's a very dangerous place to be. Now, the things that have happened to you and the things that have happened in you, once you've kind of got this pattern of storytelling down, which is what the Story Power Masterclass is all about. How do you tell a two-minute story that's not an elevator pitch, it's not a sales pitch, it's not a product vomit, it, it's actually telling the story in an event that happened in the form of an incident in a very brief period of time. Once you've mastered that art form and you've earned the right to tell the story and you're eager to tell the story and you can tell it with enthusiasm, the, the passion that the moment deserves in the authenticity and the integrity of the original story, then you have a very powerful tool for communicating with people. We, we spoke on a Zoom call just this last week about the idea of freedom. And that was exactly what I posed to the, to the group. I said, tell me your story of freedom. And what people interpreted the meaning of freedom to be was revealed in the story they chose to tell. It was pretty fascinating. Look in the psychology of the, I think there were a dozen or so people on the call, maybe 24 and 24 different stories, 24 different looks at the word freedom. What does it mean to be free? And my story I recounted from when I was in Honduras. And I got to sit in the door gunner position on a UH-60 Blackhawk. And as we took off from the base and flew up over the edge of the mountains, right at the top of the mountains, the pilot turned the helicopter sideways and it felt like a free fall off the edge of the cliff. And I felt like I was hanging out. I couldn't see the helicopter in my peripheral vision. And as we flew through the mountains, I could see eye to eye these waterfalls. I could see them coming out of the side of the mountain. And it was like those photographs you see where on the, on the surface, if you were just looking from this level up, you just see the waterfall cresting over the edge of the mountain. All above it, you would think, you know, you could un unintentionally run, you know, if you're running from a wild animal or something and not realize that cliff is there. It, it is that abrupt and that sheer. But at the bottom of this waterfall was a pool of crystal clear, looked like cold, fresh water to me, like right out of the fountain, kind of cold. And I was like, I really want to jump in. I so wanted to just release that harness and dive into the water. But then realizing that that waterfall is like almost a thousand feet above the pool of water. I don't know, A, how much would be left of me if I hit the water at that distance with no parachute and not prepared to dive, never been trained for that. I also don't know at the speed we were flying if I would actually land in that water or if I would like drift and land in the trees or on the rock side or something. I had no idea. But for a moment in time, for that, for that split second, I envisioned myself released from that helicopter and just floating through the air as if I had some control of that. I just wanted to be free like that. I was really tempted to just jump.
It was such a beautiful scene. Maybe it was common sense that got the better of me and I decided I didn't want to be free like that. You know, freedom and liberty are different. You're free to make choices that, uh, well, they may come at your peril. You can, you can choose them. You're free to do that. But liberty is a whole different thing. And free to choose doesn't mean free from consequences. There will always be consequences. That moment for me was a learning moment. That story for me is a very real, earn the right to tell it kind of a story. I love telling that story and watching the looks on people's faces. I love listening to their reactions because some people are terrified of heights and thinking, how could you be hanging out of the side of a helicopter at that height? But the way that people react to that story is always a little bit different, and it tells me a lot about their own psychology and where they are. And when you have stories in your life that you have earned the right to tell, you're eager to tell, you're enthusiastic to tell, you can work on the drama, you've spent a little time invested in the story and thinking, just what do I include and what do I leave out? That, that makes for a really good story that draws people in. They pay close attention. They want to participate in it. And that's what I'm challenging you to do. Select stories that you have all three E's. You've earned the right, you're eager to tell it, you can tell it with enthusiasm. You've either been in the middle of the story, observed the story, or researched the story. That's how you qualify to earn the right. And if you've done all these things in the story that you select, then spend the time invested in the story as well. And if you're not sure about investment, go back in this Story Power series and the Leading Leaders podcast and watch the particular episode on investment. It might change the way you look at your story. If you'll do those things, you will be qualified to tell better stories better and not bore people to tears or give an elevator pitch that nobody cares about. I challenge you to tell better stories better. If you need help with that, go to storypowermasterclass.com. I will be delighted to be your coach. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell All Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Lauren is a master teacher on storytelling, and I learned so much. Um, I'm really going to have to sit down and go back through everything, and I think I might have to have some more coffees with Lauren, but uh, it was totally worth my time, and I really highly recommend it if you're looking to grow your ministry, grow your business, uh, grow your career. Uh, Lauren will serve you well. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.